John. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this month's edition of the Influential Times. I am Jack Morrell Paolo. I'm here as usual with my host, co host, Alistair Wheat. Hello. And we are going to do a quick rundown of some of the main stories from the last month that we noticed over October. So, the first one that I have is that uh, WhatsApp is joining the, the kind of avalanche of uh, social and, and messaging uh, giants that is rolling out ephemeral content. What do I mean by ephemeral? It's content that disappears after a little while. So obviously Snapchat, the original pioneer, and sort of Zuckerberg has long been heralded for his master master stroke in copying it with Instagram stories. And in that case, it clearly worked. It's interesting to see it kind of rolling out now across lots of different channels with different use cases with a sort of varying feel of how appropriate it is as a move. You know, I think in some cases, people aren't quite sure what the purpose of it is. You know, the, the use case cited by WhatsApp is you know, maybe you want to send someone your address or bank details so they can send you money, but you don't want that to stay in the chat history forever. It's nice if it can disappear. The interesting thing is they're talking about seven days because, you know, quite often you'll send someone a message like, I'm coming around tomorrow. Uh, what's your address? And you send that information. And obviously you don't want to open up the message and find out how a 24 hour expiry and uh, you're lost. You don't know how to, how to meet your friend. Which obviously, if you're in the UK, you'll be doing uh, outside in the park one at a time um, for the for the foreseeable. Alistair, you have got another story about ephemeral content and how it's uh, how it's kind of rolling out across a different part of the Internet. Yeah, so this is something that's been uh, anticipated for a while and hopefully most of you've come across this already. But LinkedIn have rolled out stories globally this last month and uh, this uh, kind of elicited groans from some quarters of, oh, no, not more ephemeral content and you know, another copycat act with the uh, stories now being copied by a different company. But there is, I think, a, a use case for it within the LinkedIn environment. And I would really just plead that people don't just try and copy kind of the, the way that stories work on Instagram and just think that they should do exactly the same on LinkedIn. Um, with LinkedIn, the regular feed, if people post too often, we know that LinkedIn's algorithm kind of penalizes people who post too frequently. So LinkedIn Stories is actually an opportunity to post some content to engage with your audience if you want to keep in touch with them kind of on a more frequent basis, uh, so like daily. That's not going to then kind of maybe fill up your feed and also not maybe cause your other posts to get kind of downweighted in LinkedIn's algorithm. And so these videos, they're 20 seconds long and they last for 24 hours. So what should brands do with that or, or what can influencers do? What should brand advocates do with stories? A couple of things I think are, are really good to try and use that, that fit the kind of LinkedIn um, uh, LinkedIn kind of environment is to have something that is commenting on, on the news or a short reaction to something that's happened recently or talking about an event because that's still kind of in the, the LinkedIn kind of business environment. And it's also for that day. So it's something that's worth talking about today and people if they don't see it on that day and see it another day, they haven't really missed anything because it was yesterday's news. The other thing is maybe kind of short Q&A type things of, you know, having a, a post where you ask people for, to submit questions and then you maybe you just you answer them one by one over a period of days in a LinkedIn story format. Because again, that's, that's something that's short, doesn't need to stay on there for a long time and it fits the LinkedIn uh, style and it's not trying to just copy how stories work on Instagram. So that's, a, I think it's, a, you know, it's something that's it's worth trying out on LinkedIn. Um, I hope people just think about it in a kind of LinkedIn way, in a B2B contact way, and it can be still quite quite effective and successful. So back to you, Jack. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to say on that, if I think about the way most people on on kind of my Instagram feed use sort of stories versus, you know, the, the quote is always like, is something good enough for the grid, kind of adding it to your to the, the actual grid of photos on your profile. I do think hopefully people just maintain that kind of similar set of behavior. And, you know, it's obviously a di- it's, it's a different audience and the content will be different. But I actually think the sort of the separation pretty simple and what would you put on your story like like you know i don't know what should i get for dinner tonight you know who do you prefer Katy perry or taylor swift or something like that you know i think a lot of the same probably going to apply um my second story is about um so this is this is about a, a it's on reddit actually and it's a story about uh, a bot that someone created basically as a as a project at school um they were they were kind of doing a, a computer science degree uh, I think, uh, and they decided to, to set up a bot that lets you quickly check um, someone's posting history um, so that when you sort of came across a user, you could basically, in this case, try and find if, if someone had been using um, racial slurs. And it was kind of a way of, of essentially quickly determining, am I engaging with someone who is, is likely to be engaging in good faith? Or is this someone who's kind of actually in, in places where you know, in different discussions, they're actually using a lot of slurs among their friends. They're not someone I really want to bother engaging with, and I'm just going to um, ignore them. And I think what, what this raised is, for me, is the sort of the specter of uh, influence of vetting. And think about how we kind of vet people's behavior online and how we think about, you know, what does someone's post history mean? So in a case like this, I think, you know, that's obviously very open and shut. You wouldn't want to engage with someone who's been doing that. But I think it does raise, it, it sort of raises this question of, as we look to automate and maybe use tools to sort of vet people's posts is making sure that we are, you know, in general, observing the context and that we're, we're kind of looking at, um, you know, not just in terms of something potentially bad, but also just looking at, you know, the, the sort of tone of voice that someone has trying to get a sense of their values and hopefully speaking to the influencers that you're going to align with um, to, to kind of get a sense of that. So I think, you know, the, the case itself in the article is pretty open and shut. That's not someone you want to talk to. But I think an interesting thing that will, you know, we see marketers wrestle with and I think will only accelerate as particularly if people want to sort of start using more smaller influencers, um, people with a smaller following, you know, micro influencers, um, as you might call them. Um, there's there's going to be more call for sort of tools. And I guess what I would say is I'd encourage people absolutely use things, you know, on your non-negotiables, on the obvious things for people you don't want to associate with, but also make sure you are kind of doing some of that um, tone checking, you know, getting a bit of a sense of what someone's skill set, you know, what their values are like, what kind of content they produce to, to see if it's a good fit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my kind of um, that's my thought on that. And you have got one last story, Alistair. Yes, this is news from France that they have decided to include uh, child influencers under their child's uh, labour protection laws. So if a, a YouTuber is under the age of 16 or, or, or an Instagram or any other platform and they're making money from influencer marketing, they that counts as, as child labour. So the money that they earn from that activity so that the money they get from the YouTube page needs to go straight to a bank account that is sealed for that child until they reach the age of 16. So going to be interesting to see kind of what impact this has um, and also whether this law maybe gets rolled out to other places as well, because often 
we see some child YouTube influencers can make large amounts of money and some of the top influencers on YouTube and um, there, there are some as well on uh, other platforms who are under the age of 16 uh, they make a lot of money but actually the one doing a lot of the work maybe behind the camera uh, often it's maybe the dad or the mum actually putting the video together doing the editing so it's going to be interesting to see maybe how the, the money maybe gets sort of assigned um, but uh, the the one that actually who's who's got the channel in their name really is, is still under French law counted as being the the owner of that property as such so you're yeah, going to see what can be interesting to see if that gets rolled out to other countries what the impact is going to be in terms of how maybe how they those uh, video channels are presented, whether or not they're going to need to see the uh, the other people in the videos appearing more on the channel, with the channel name changing, perhaps who knows. But uh, nonetheless, it's good to see that uh, there's, there are protections coming in place because there are also uh, instances where very much you know, the the children are potentially being exploited and you know put in front of the camera just to make money for the the people behind the camera. So that was uh, my last kind of observation on the influencer news for this month. Back yes. to you. Jeff. A really interesting one, actually, because it, it, it says a lot about your sort of conception. It sets a legal precedent for which bit of a sort of a, a popular YouTube channel is the work. And, you know, I know that that's something that, you know, uh, some influencers sometimes struggle with is obviously the, the job they're hired for is to attend a conference. But actually the work is research, putting together a video afterwards, thinking about content formats and all of that. So it's kind of interesting to see, you know, French courts obviously putting the balance on the act of being on camera. And I think, you know, that broadly makes sense. But um, as you as you point out, there's, there's stuff happening behind the camera. Our bonus story this month is if you have not in the last 10 minutes gotten enough of people on the Analytica payroll talking about social advocacy, then uh, boy, have we got a treat for you. Um, our very own Tim Williams is going to be with um, in conversation with Sarah Goodall and a very special guest on uh, on a webinar that is going out the afternoon we are recording this, um, so that will be our, our bonus story this week, more of a long form conversation. Um, and you can you can catch the, the recording of that session there. So uh, until next time, Alistair, uh, always, a, always a pleasure and we will see you all next month. Likewise, bye guys.